Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast, where our ultimate goal is to inspire, educate, and awaken your curiosity, and overall, to help you to become healthier and happier. We're Dave and Steve, identical twins who started a veg shop nearly 20 years ago. Since then, it's expanded into a social following of over one and a half million people, nearly 50 million views of our videos, nearly half a million books sold, cafes, farms, apps, courses, food products to help you to eat more veg. We speak to thought leaders, health experts, trailblazers and specialists of all kinds, from the ones you know to those you've never, ever heard of. This week's podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot Shoes. We've been wearing them for six years and genuinely they are our favourite shoes and that is all we wear beyond being barefoot. Yeah, they're really, really great. They've tons of different varieties. Uh, you get 15% off with the code HAPPYPAIR15. And if you don't like them, what do you do, Dave? You can send them back within 100 days. No risk. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So if you're interested, vivobarefoot.com and the code is HAPPYPAIR15. First of all, just to say on air, congratulations on your book and TV show. I think it couldn't happen to a nicer person and I am absolutely chuffed for you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. The book's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of... A lot of energy went into it. It was myself and Aaron, my wife, and the photographer, Shantanu Starek. And we are very good friends, so it was easy for us to work together. And we needed to be because it took months. Took and husband months and wife, to, that was that worked cool? Yeah, yeah. It kind of it kind of had to, but, well but it, worked, it worked really well. Good job. The, I sat down, I think it was last Sunday, maybe it was the Sunday before. It was a sunny afternoon, sunny, sunny Sunday. And I sat down in the bench with your book and a nice cup of tea. And I read the intro and it was just so beautiful. Like I really loved the bit which hit, hit home to me most was the idea that nowadays we're missing something like, you know, historically food, building shelter and procreating. That took up most of someone's life. I like that Pro was procreating up there with food and shelter. Nice. Well, that, that, that was, I, I like your weight. They're well weighted. Those were, well, those were like because you needed somewhere to live and you needed something yeah. to eat and then hope, you know, you were hopefully going to pass on your genetic code. That was the kind of idea of life. Whereas nowadays, like, and it was, you, you wrote it so beautifully that nowadays we've kind of outsourced the building bit. Like we've mm. kind of, we've also outsourced the food bit. Absolutely. We've outsourced the food bit, but but the building bit I think today is what I'd love yeah. to focus on because, and this is something we've come around in the last couple of years that, that just something coming inside of us, this need to kind of go, well, I want to learn. I don't want to be a useless person that can't fix the feckin'. Mm. When there's a leak or when there's something like this kind of deep-seated desire to understand how things work and building because it's baked into our basic DNA like I really think it is this like it's something. shelter create shelter for my family you know be able to look after my family I've wanted to start a school for many years but be a few decades now really that I've, I've always dreamt of starting a school and one of the cores of it was that construction was a huge part of it that it was an act of process yeah yeah, and that the, things we, the things that we learn are actually useful to us even yeah. immediately yeah. not necessarily in 20 years when we finally Go, oh, pie, that thing career. pie was really interesting. Yeah, exactly. But we put it into practice right away. You know, and we can separate building as one thing and we'll talk about it mostly today. But I think it's wrong to like not mention the food and not mention the other things that we outsourced. And, you know, you two have been such a driving force in people becoming more connected to their food again in Ireland and and understanding it and having empathy for that food and and where it came from and its journey and what it takes to create it and grow it and all of that, you know, that knowledge and talking about it is what brings it back into our daily life. And the fact that most people don't even know enough terminology to be able to walk into a hardware store or to like confidently have a discussion with someone who might be building their house for them, you know, just that lack of terminology comes from us removing it from our life completely that over the past few generations, we've lost the words, we've lost the language in a general sense for most of us. 
as people became more specialized, we made building seem really hard and really, really only for the people who were devoting their whole life to it. And I think that that specialization of things that are kind of our basic human needs of survival can be really damaging for everyone else because the more specialized it becomes, the further away it feels for us to be able to reach it. And so I, I think the, I think the language and the, the way that we talk about it and, you know, again, like what the happy pair has created and the way it makes people talk and think and consider and tell each other about food and give each other ideas and share recipes, that exact model could be applied to building and to everything we do. If, if I've got something going wrong with my house and I know that you have a kind of similar house that I can ask you how you fixed it and you might actually have an answer because you did the work. Your answer won't be, I paid someone else who, who came and fixed it. Your answer so would be, like I dealt with it. Nowadays, when so many people, you know, everyone included, can f at times feel very disconnected, disenfranchised, kind of malaise, like this kind of bit apathetic. Like, I, I think it's a beautiful reminder that the simple things in life can often bring the most joy. And that's not saying they're easy, you know, building your own house or even fixing some aspect of your own home is challenging. It can be like, I know myself and maybe it's the archetype male role. When I fix something, I'm nearly standing there with my wife going, look, I'm such a man. You know, yeah. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, but everyone has that feeling. And that feeling is, is that's part of our evolution. That's how we got here. We solved problems. We're so good at solving problems. We're like totally designed to do it. And when you solve a problem that you have, you feel amazing, you feel successful and it encourages you to try and solve the next problem and the next problem. And that leads us to doing really amazing stuff. And so as we still, as we keep kind of losing our agency to even be able to solve our own problems, we start losing that sense of satisfaction we get when we do it. And we start looking for it somewhere else. We start looking things. for it in Netflix or in in buying furniture or or buying buying replacing a rug because it's not the rug we like anymore we think it's going to do the thing we think painting a different color on the wall is going to give us that satisfaction but it's not because you're not you're not hitting that problem solving thing that little nick in you that needs to have. be kind of satisfied and uh it's totally addictive you know you start solving your own problems you start fixing things around your house you learn how to install a shelf and suddenly like you're going to have shelves all over your house. You're going to be putting, <laughs> you're be putting shelves where you don't need them. So you really quickly. I can hang shelves. Exactly. I, you need to learn a new skill because otherwise you're just going to keep hanging shelves everywhere to try and get the hit of, uh, of being able to do it. Like you use the term. I love that term used almost. I, I think it was learned helplessness. Mm. Like the fact that many people, me included, don't think you can fix things. Don't even see as it at something that you can't fix. There's a leak under the sink and you go, who do I call to fix it? Or there's something wrong with the heating. Who do I call to fix it? As opposed to, okay, YouTube is the greatest encyclopedia of how to the human society has ever had. Okay, type it in, have a look, get an L plumber, get a, or get an L ratchet and have a go at it. And when you fix it again, there's such satisfaction. And uh, I wonder if you could talk about this learned helplessness that you described that I think yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I mean, the learned helplessness um, idea is really, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's that we've kind of 
trained ourselves to not believe that something is for us or for us to do. It's not a thing that we're meant to do. So, and again, I think it comes back to this specialization thing where we're kind of trained in from a very young age to choose the thing that we're going to be amazing at, that we're going to focus on and put all our energy and all our studies and all our finances and everything towards this one thing. And we, that we become this perfect cog in the wheel, this perfect part of the system that that doesn't know how to do any other parts in the system. And in a really big sense, that kind of makes sense. The big machine is going to keep working if we do that. Mm. But in our day-to-day lives, there's a much smaller machine that needs to keep working there. You know, there's your family unit, there's your home, there's the space you live, there's the food you eat every day that has all these moving parts for us. And the idea that you'd be able to outsource all those moving parts of your daily life to someone else, that's a total luxury. For most people, and we're seeing it right now with the housing crisis, most people can't afford to outsource building their house. It's it's just not possible. So mm. the solution is either rent for the rest of my life or not buy a house or move in with my parents or build my own house. Right? Mm. Except to ha- build your own house is, is in certainly in the greater Dublin area, in the Leinster area, yeah. That, that means you need to get land, which unless your parents have land or someone gives you a plot of land, it's very difficult to do that. So it's kind of, it's typically going to more rural areas. And yeah, I mean, so many people are leaving the city to go and find houses that they can afford or land that they can afford, you know, and that's, that's kind of, that's going to happen. There's going to be a repercussion of it. I don't know how we can change that. And I also don't know if that's a problem. I don't know if that's a bad thing. Maybe that's a great thing. Mm. Maybe, maybe, maybe getting more people into smaller communities in the countryside is going to have a really positive effect on our community building, on our mental health, on our and when like, more in touch with, with nature. nature. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so the learned helplessness thing, it's it's really it's really about our belief in ourself to be able to do something. It's not actually about doing it. Uh, I guess another way of describing it is self-efficacy, how much we believe we can we can do. Right. And so if you think about someone to understand self-efficacy, like if you think about someone who's trying to quit smoking, if they don't believe that they're ever going to be able to quit smoking, it's very, very unlikely they're ever going to stop smoking. If they believe it's possible that they could quit smoking because they've had a friend do it or they've had a family member do it or they watched on a TV show that someone did it. Every one of these influences helps them with their own self-belief that someone else may be like me, that they have some empathy with, did this thing as well, and I could do it too. And the more you believe you would be able to do something, obviously, the the easier it's going to be for you to do it. That comes with everything that we do, whether it's learning a language, learning how to cook, learning how to build your own home. You see that the minute you know someone who has built their own home, you automatically question, Could 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 I do that? Like if they did it, can I do it? If they found a way to build a house for 80,000 euros instead of 400,000 euros, could I find a way to do that and not get a mortgage for 30 years? And it's just that question that starts this process of like, yeah, I could do it. If they can do it, then it's possible. There is a world that exists that I could, I could do this thing too. Mm. And, and, you know, that's the, that's the power of just starting that process. And it's really the first, the first step and, um, I, I think that's, I don't know, that's almost what we need to focus on much more than what materials do we build with or how do you put two bits of wood together? Most people are at this point where they need to believe that it's possible that they could learn 
how to build their own house and create their own shelter. And I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there when you talked about <clears throat> specialization, because it, we're, it's a bit like at a macro level, we're at the Henry Ford kind of automated kind of, you know, line. Each of us has a, you know, we're good at one thing and we get paid for this and we outsource, as you said, we outsource a lot of the rest of our life. But when I look at my own life, you know, 43 now, I realize when I learn new skills, I feel really good. Like, I feel good. I feel confident. I feel happier myself. Yes! Like, I learned to hammer a nail through something or whatever it might be. Simple, I can fix the boiler. When the boiler breaks, I can fix the boiler. I can't. Like, there's one little trick that I can do. <laughs> yeah. And every time I break, hang I like on, love, I'll fix the boiler for you. You know, when I go out there, and I'm just yeah, like, I'm just like, literally, do. I just add the pressure to it. I put a bit more water in the system. I know that one too. You know that one too. And like, I'm delighted with myself. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a great lad. Just, just fix the boiler, girls. Just fix the boiler. <laughs> what a man. And it, like, but it's those, if you can have that at scale, like as in like yeah. learning, like building more than a shelf, building a wall and building a house, because yeah. building essentially, in my experience, is a repetitive skill done lots of times that you like, you, like with, once a, you learn, with a plan behind well, yeah, it. Yeah, you, you need someone to go under, but a lot of it is the same thing over and over again. Mm. You know, and it's hard work, like it's hard work. Mm. But, that's but, but, it, but, the, but the technical aspect, if someone can show you, isn't that difficult. Yeah. Or, I mean, the way we learned to do it was by trying to do something and making a mistake and it falling apart and then trying again and trying again and finding a different way to do it. We're, we're made to solve problems. It's like a muscle we have to flex. We have to try and figure out how to do things. And I think it's just part of part of being human. And the more we do it, the better we get at it. The more we we practice thinking and imagining and making a plan before we dive into something. And uh I, I, I think, you know, what you were talking about there was really part of your motivation for fixing the boiler is, is impressing the people you love. Absolutely. Right? Impressing, the <laughs> impressing the people who you want to love you. My wife, my children, exactly. fixing the boiler. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and that's a really powerful tool. You know, that makes us do all kinds of crazy things. If we can use that, if we can use that influence and that tool to make us do things that are really good, good for us, good for the people around us, good for our community. If we can use that, that motivation to tick those things off. And then if you can learn to do it without there needing to be someone else, else there, if you can learn to build shelter because you deserve shelter, you deserve to know this thing. And it's absolutely what you were made to do. You know, it's why humans are still here. We, we eat, we procreate, we build shelter. Just like mm. you said, that's, that's, that's in essence, that's the that's the whole existence that keeps us alive. That's like the very base needs. And then the family comes in like a little bit, a little bit further up. This isn't, this is in like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The family unit is like next up that list. It's, it's like a sense of belonging mm. where, where you're meant to be and how you're meant to be and, and where you fit into the whole to the whole system, mm. whether that's your micro family or a greater, a greater community. Context. Yeah, yeah. But, but even on the building thing, on the building thing, I was just going to say about, like it starts off as kids, you know, the way you build a Lego house. Like I see my kids, they still love playing Lego. I loved, like we used to build bases. Like my daughters used to love building bases. We built bases as teenagers. I mean, like we built No, we bases didn't. We were way go. cooler than that. Yeah, <laughs> no, so maybe we weren't teenagers, but like yeah, bases. Yeah, no, we did. I remember that was, doing it was so, It's so inherent in our nature to build things and play things and create. Yeah, this is so so much fun yeah. and then suddenly we become grown-ups yeah. or we become responsible and maybe it's this financial shackles like and the finance definitely does get in the way when I'm thinking of building your own like because people kind of go well like how am I going to afford it and like to do this house and if I get it wrong and I've got to buy all these materials and I need a van to get them to my house and I don't even know how to use a screw gun or I don't mm. have a screwdriver you know 
And you, you know, we, yeah, but we, the difference, there's no difference between the three-year-old doing it, like my daughter Inari, right? Her building Lego, she builds totally freely. She has no uh, ego. She has no self-criticism. She has no care what anyone else thinks of, of the things she's building. She's just trying things out and seeing if they work. And if they work, she repeats them and she does it again. And if they don't, don't work, she sometimes gets frustrated and knocks the whole thing over, right? As adults, the longer we wait to, to start practicing, to, to learn and to be open to learning, the higher the stakes become because our time becomes more valuable. Our money becomes more scarce because we're using it on so many other things. Like all the resources that we actually need to create our own shelter kind of become more precious the longer we leave it. Whereas Inari right now, the three-year-old is totally free to practice building. She takes all my scrap building materials and just builds mini versions of the things that I'm building much bigger, you know, across the field. And, and she's learning, she's learning so much about structure and about balance and about the physics of it really subliminally. She doesn't need to know the language about it to actually understand how buildings work. Cause Amazing. that's how you, that's a, like, I, I, I remember reading or hearing about how you got into this was that you essentially were raised in a building site, wasn't it? I wonder if you could talk about that. Cause that, give, yeah. it, it's very inspiring to hear it. Yeah, sure. And it's something, you know, I never really gave my parents credit for until writing that book, you know, where I really had to think about like, why do I, why do I think differently about building than other people here in Ireland? Like, why, why does my brain work a little differently? And it is because I grew up on a building site. My parents were building the house that we grew up in around us. You know, we moved in the second there were doors and windows installed before anything was finished inside, we were in because they didn't want to be paying rent anymore. And the house never really got finished. Every year, you know, they would do a little bit more as they made money. They'd invest a little bit more and finish another room. But a house that was meant to be a four bedroom house with two bathrooms was actually just a two bedroom house with one bathroom for eight years as we kept going. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I ended up finishing the house and then we sold it. You know, we never lived in the finished version of that house. And so I don't have any expectation of what a finished house is. There's no such thing as a finished house, in my opinion, you know, because it's going to keep evolving and changing as as your needs evolve and change as your life changes. Right. You 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 get a partner, you need a space that you can share that represents you both. You have a kid, you need another space. You want to invite family over, you need another room added on, then your kid moves out and you've got to change that room to your new hobby of making chocolate or whatever you're doing. Like Train set. Yeah, train <laughs> set, like whatever it is, you know, it's this idea of a finished house is is a ridiculous goal because we're not finished. We haven't we haven't reached a point where where our needs and our and our goals and our ambitions aren't going to change anymore. And so the house, it's not separate from us. It's meant to be a reflection of us. It's meant to be a tool for us to facilitate all the things we actually want to do, how we want to raise our families, the hobbies we want to do, things we want to we want to spend our time doing. And they don't all have to be wholesome and amazing. Like, yeah, put a cinema room in. Like if if that's exactly what you want, if you want a dark room in the middle of your house to watch movies, that's what you want. And your house should have that. But that's not going to be the same as my house. And we want to celebrate those differences. We want to embrace all the things that make us different because that's what makes us human. That's the beautiful part about why we can sit here and have a conversation and not be bored. And and the same thing goes for all the things that reflect us, the 
type of food we like, you know, the way we taste food, our, our, our kind of homes that we want and the spaces that we create, they reflect us and people get to actually come into your home and get a bit of an idea of who you are and how you are and how you want to live. And it can be inspiring for people. Yeah, I notice in my house, I love giving tours because I find when I go to people's houses, I love when they show me around their house. It's like, I'd love to see how you live. It'll give me a better understanding of who you are. So when people come to my house, they're like, can I give you a tour? And my wife is sick of me giving tours like, you know, there's a $2 tour, you know, whatever. And I've got <laughs> the same tour and this is blah, blah. And we talk through it and it's the same tour. I do the exact same. But and Justina gets fed up of me doing those But things. I love it because I think there is a reflection of your home. Like, and, and I love it. There was, there was a, on Steve's road, there was it's a like, street. Come here and let me give you a tour. My crazy mind. Yeah, but, mm, but there was a, a street feast. You know that community yeah, yeah, street yeah, feast, right, wonderful event on in the end of June where communities come together and they celebrate their street feast. And my my parents hosted one on their street this year, and we went up to support because Steve's moving up to that road. And it was all the big, all the te- all the 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 roads had a table in the middle of the street, and they were all celebrating, meeting one another, and saying, "Oh, this is great." And and someone asked someone about their house, and they were saying, "Oh, do you want to come down and see my house?" So about forty. Then, of us, then it became funny. It was all like, the oh, neighbors, "I'll show you mine if you show me yours." It was so, the, the whole yeah, yeah. neighborhood trotted up to the house, and we all got a tour of their house. And it yeah. was it was comical, like it was so entertaining. It was like little kids getting walked around this house. And as like none of us had ever seen the house because it was quite. It was in at the end of the cul-de-sac, and yeah, but and it was beautiful. Yeah, and it was just such an interesting thing. I felt like little um, kids. Time to pay the bills now. Um, as we said, this podcast is sponsored by Vivo Barefoot Shoes. They're really, they're the only shoes we've been wearing for six years. And really, we wouldn't take someone as a sponsor unless we really believe in them. And this is a company and these are shoes that we've seen it in ourselves. Our feet have become more natural. They're stronger. They're wider. I can isolate this, this kind of movement called toga, which sounds funny and sounds stupid, but it's where you can isolate your toes and move them kind of Individually. Individually. And through wearing shoes, at least there's even research from Vivo at universities that your feet muscles will typically improve by 60% within a number of weeks of just wearing barefoot within shoes. Within 100 days. Within 100 days. So, and even think about it logically that in a house, the foundation or the base of the house is the really the, the most important bit which the structure sits on. And the same way we kind of, we just wear shoes without thinking about it, yet our feet are the foundation. And when you've got them in shoes that actually encourage the natural kind of movements within your feet it enhances every aspect of your anatomy yeah so uh, if anyone does want to try them out uh, Vivo Barefoot are offering a 15% off with the code HAPPYPAIR15 and you have nothing to worry about they're offering a 100 day return policy so check them out VivoBarefoot.com full range of shoes for all the family from formal to casual to kids um, and everything in between so 15% off HAPPYPAIR15 I like that story can I ask a question about your parents how did your parents come to decide to start building their own home was this like were they brought up in that environment or were like what brought them to this was it the finances they thought feck it feck this system they had the bravery to do something different like where did that because for anyone listening they can relate to like how do you step out of the system the system of like specialization to suddenly go I'm going to break or, free. Or, or even I, I'd love to riff off that because the current system now in Ireland is mortgage. You get a mortgage. The French word, how I understand it is more debt, gauge, gauge, grip, debt, grip. I'm mm-hmm. going to get a debt grip uh, mm-hmm. or a mortgage. And you can understand the psychology if that is the root of the bird. Yeah. I don't know if that's correct or not. Because Death it, grip or grip until you're dead. Grip until, yeah, yeah, maybe either yeah. or. But it, it is it is a great system that enables us to, you know, to to move into a house and you know it's been a system but it's kind of evolved into where where a nuclear families and and whatnot and and I guess I was going to build off your question well, can, can Harold answer that one first yeah yeah sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't think it was a question it was just a ramble <laughs> so 
Harry Harrison. Um, no, no, not at all. My mum was a bookkeeper. My dad worked in IT. Uh, this was, they were building their house when the internet was booming. So dad was busy doing that in Australia. They just moved to Australia five years earlier. Well, from where? From South Africa. Wow. My, my dad was actually born in the UK, uh, moved down to South Africa when he was two. My mum was born in Tanzania and then moved down to South Africa when she was seven or something. And then they had my two brothers over there and then they immigrated over and had me in Australia. So I was the only one born in Australia in my family. Um, and they found a piece of land that they could afford and they couldn't afford to build the house that needed to go on it. So they found a company that was basically like a kit home company. But nowadays you, you see these kit home companies that are kind of modular where they build the wall panels, they build all the sections and they fit together. Sometimes you use a crane to put it all together. This was actually just literally a pile of materials and a set of plans. Like an Ikea. Just, just like an Ikea, like shelving unit, but very complicated. <laughs> and um, they purchased that. They got it. They designed it with the company. They got it delivered on site. It was a pretty big, gorgeous two-story house, all made with this lightweight steel. And they taught themselves how to build while building the house and doing it all. And then the engineer came and approved it all at the end of the process, made sure they'd done it right, made sure everything was safe. And, uh, and then we moved in. Your parents are very brave. Like, that's really brave. They didn't have another choice, really. They didn't see another way to do it. Now, I, I think they, you know, at the time, the internet was booming, uh, economy was booming. They thought they were going to be able to either sell this house for a lot or borrow more money down the line. And it was never the plan not to finish the house. The plan was always to finish the house. But in the end, what they could afford to do was get the shell up and then stop paying rent and move in. And that money that was previously going to rent started going to building materials and kept finishing out each room as as we went along. So, so they probably never had a mortgage, did they? Or they or they minimal? would have, they, they yeah had a minimal mortgage, you know, as Relative. low as they could. And I think it was really just to to purchase the land in the in the beginning and to get that that shell. But after that point, they never borrowed again. You know, they kept just fixing the house up as they went. And it's really it's really inspiring when I think back to what they did you know they they took on that risk with their three kids who were all like you know around 10 and down i was only three years old when they started that and um they took this huge risk on they were both working full time they were only building on the weekends and in the evenings and they just went for it and they loved it they they enjoyed the process they they fought throughout it they had a hard time there were there were obviously like mega stresses that went through it but imagine the satisfaction at the end of that compared to putting up a shelf, you know, or the satisfaction <sighs> of fixing your boiler. Imagine the mm. satisfaction after like three years of finishing your house and getting the engineers signing off being like, yeah, you've done it. You it's can like live in it now. Well done. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. So, so when I hear that story, it's not surprising at all to, to you know, your journey, like, because you are almost, the, you are the fruit. You are obviously, you know, the, you're their son and they must be so proud when they see, you know, you have a, you've created, it's just unfolded, like whether it was destiny or what, or you've come to the other side of the world and you've, you know, you're an accomplished builder that never trained as a builder has just, you know, never got qualified. You've obviously yeah. spent your life training to be a builder yeah. and you've written a book on it. You've got a TV show on it yeah. and you've got a, a, a you know, a, a not for pro it's not a not for profit. It's a social enterprise. Yeah, training also people a not for to build. Profit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is amazing, and in so many ways, my parents are the relatable success story much more than I am. I grew up in a building site. I grew up, 
using building materials as toys. So it's no surprise that I know how to build and that I can build houses for myself and other people. But my parents had no idea how to build and they did it. And they're the ones who inspired me to be able to do it and created an environment. You know, they broke that cycle of kind of learned helplessness by being brave and pushing through when they did in their, they must have been late 30s, 40s when they started that project. They broke that cycle of, of their family and the people in their family not knowing how to build houses because they hadn't learned it from their parents. And, and now it's started again. Now my daughter's uh, growing up in a building site naturally and, and they're, they're going to be subliminally absorbing all of this stuff, whether they're aware of it or not. You know, they're, they're naturally going to know how far apart studs go in a timber wall and and how like how you install a window because they've watched me and helped me do it so many times well it's as much wow. they learn from what you do not what you tell them so subconsciously they're learning that well it's normal to build like yeah. it's it's not something you need to train at it's just it's in our dna like you know i grew up with it the same way our kids baking cooking like that's really just normal food like yeah. all the aspects yeah. of food and you're so right you know it's the normalization of it like that's the work that's yeah. the work that needs to happen. That's what needs to happen on a countrywide level, on a culture level, as as the way we communicate with each other. When when someone tells you that they're going to build their own house, we shouldn't laugh at them. We shouldn't tell them they're crazy. We shouldn't tell them it's not going to work. That's that's shutting down this hope and this belief and this tiny bit of self-belief that they had that they could do it just gets like chipped away every time someone tells them that it's not going to be possible or it's not going to work. Mm. And, and the more stories we have, and in the end, that's why I did the TV show. Was it's so empowering. It really I, is. I had no, I had no interest in being a TV presenter. That wasn't the goal. I have a huge interest in everybody understanding that it's possible to build your own home. And so it took a long time for the production company and I to land on what this show actually was. You were much cooler than a TV presenter. Like a TV presenter stands <laughs> and talks. You were just like, cool, here comes Harrison in to fix the day. It was great. I no, loved but see, it. it wasn't me fixing the day. I was just no, there. No, but you were, you were guiding them. You, yeah. like, you were like Yoda coming in to help Luke. Yeah, I'm just there for encouragement and yeah. support, you know. And, and teaching them how to do it. And teaching them how to do it. But, but you know, in the end, I, for all of them, the main job was that I was the one who believed that they could do it. And would help them when they had those moments of not really believing that it was possible. Dark nights to sell. Yeah, exactly. And they and you need that. You need those people that you can call on when you're like, this is all, all going a bit wrong right now. I need I need a bit of perspective. I need to understand like how far up this mountain I am and how much further I've got to go and how good the view is going to be when I get to mm. the top. Because you've, you've seen it, I'd say, so many times where people are about to give up. They're just about to throw on their towel. W one thing I just want to go, for anyone listening who goes, building a house is typically for males or those that identify as males. <laughs> you were saying that in, in Europe, approximately 97%, I think you said, of people in the construction trade are men. But at your um, non-for-profit, you were saying 50% are women. Yeah, at Common Knowledge, 55% of that's, the people that's who come profit through. Is common knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Social enterprise teaching people how to build exactly. with natural materials, with what they have. Yeah, build, building what they need with whatever they've got, whatever they've got. And uh, whatever they got doesn't to. refer to like money, it refers to like, you know, you might live with loads of trees around you that you could get wood or you might be able to build with mud, which a lot of houses in the world are built out of adobe. And yeah, I think, I think initially I did mean it really literally like that. And now the way I understand it is that they're all resources, whether it's 
whether it's the building materials you're going to build with, whether it's the time you have, whether it's the money you have, like these are all the resources that you have to try and create some shelter. And we've all got access to different resources. So some people are going to be able to spend a little bit more money to get something else done that someone else is going to have to do themselves because they're, they're lower in that resource. Someone else is going to see uh, what's another resource? Your uncle is a plumber. Like that's a resource. That's a resource mm. as much as money or time, you know, that your community, the, the knowledge that you have access to. If you have a friend who's built their house, that's a resource. That's someone you can ask advice from, hear about their experiences, hear the people that they were connected with. You know, I think when we think about how am I going to get a house, all we think about is money. It's the only thing we think counts in, in how to achieve shelter for ourselves these days. And once you get a little more in depth with that process, you realize that every conversation you've ever had, every person you've ever met, every, every bit of knowledge or every conversation you've heard in the pub about what materials people have used, the ones people have tried that failed and the ones that worked really well, the mm. ones that cost a lot, all this stuff becomes your potential resources that you've got to tap back into and ask more questions. And, and as soon as you start considering I might build my house one day, you start listening a lot closer to those conversations and you, you start asking a lot more questions. Mm. I love hey, that you, yeah. can I ask, because your, your own experience is so relevant because it's not like you grew up in Ireland and your parents gave you a chunk of money or gave you a plot of land. Like you arrived here as someone from Australia, you probably never really intended to live here, but lo and behold, here you are living in West Clare. Can you tell your story of how you managed to afford to, to build shelter or find shelter or create shelter? Yeah, absolutely. So I left Australia when I was 18 and I traveled the world building. I was doing it very, very much on my own at the beginning, going to different organizations, learning skills. You know, I went to Africa and India and I really thought that I was going there to show them our like efficient, uh, fast building techniques. I was going to build lots of buildings for, for people in, uh, in the slums in India and in the, in the villages in Kenya where I was working. And I was just so humbled by how much I learned from them. Like these were people who really understood building what you need with whatever you've got, whether that was garbage or sticks or earth or car sticks tires. Sticks is a or, gas one. It doesn't matter. Like whatever you've got, like there's a way to create shelter out of it. Mm. And I learned so much about the actual physics of how buildings work, how structures actually come together and that. All you need to do is kind of start understanding the materials and and understanding their properties to be able to build out of absolutely anything. So I, I got really excited by by the diversity that was possible in building. It didn't all have to be the same way. It didn't have to be the same materials. Um, and we could we could really we could really challenge that. And so I went on a ten year kind of pilgrimage or it's like self-made apprenticeship learning every building technique I could anywhere in the world so anyone who was teaching anyone how to build out of out of a certain technique whether it was uh you know timber joinery timber frame houses or building out of mud or building out of straw bales or or whatever it was building out of car tires and glass bottles you know I I was just going and learning and learning as much as I could and I passed through Ireland you know eight years ago with no intention to stay here at all, but I had been building other people's houses now for seven years. And I really just wanted to 
have somewhere where I could experiment on my own. And you and Luca, it was you and Luca Dafonso exactly. shared, and a really shared dear friend of all yeah. of ours, decided to buy a house, buy some old cottage in West Clare, like. Exactly, yes. Out of nowhere. And the idea kind of came out of nowhere because I remember all of a sudden Luca was saying, me and Harry are buying a house. Like, it was like, where, how are you, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> Who's Harry? <laughs> no, no, well, we knew you. Yeah, we yeah. knew handsome Harry the Walt Disney Prince, like. Yeah. So we did, we bought a old ruin out in West Clare. And for me, it was another step in getting to use a new building material. You know, these stone ruins, like for me, they're, they may as well be castles. You know, they've been there for a hundred years, 200 years. They're still standing. Like there's very few buildings in the world that can, that can say that, that with and no the, the, human intervention. And this was a damp old yeah. kind of like, you know, when you say stone old thing, all yeah. I feel, I feel damp, like even thinking of it. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I feel moist. Yeah. We're talking like an inch of mold across the floor in the whole space, like wet cozy. walls. And like, oh yeah. You know, very cozy carpet. Great family home. <laughs> Perfect. Pneumonia. Huge, huge potential, you know, is how it was, how it was listed. So Luca and I bought this place. We were both bachelors at the time, both thinking that, yeah, this is just somewhere we can like retreat to, that we can hide. I was traveling around the world still. Luca was running the Fumbly and with Ashling in Dublin. And we, neither of us thought we were going to live there. And then we started building it. And I called in all my favors from 10 years on the road. Everyone I had ever done a favor for, I, I basically called them in and said, I need to renovate this cottage and make it livable as quickly as possible. Are you, are you around to come and help? I'll teach you how to build. I'll feed you. I'll buy you beer. And in exchange, we'll, we'll build, we'll build this house together. And so we, we did, we renovated the whole house and added a, an extension to it, the 40 square meter extension to it in seven weeks. Um, and out, out of, out of, um, stones or out of wood or out of we, we used, brick we, we kept the entire original cottage. We knocked down a bit of a wall. We added a timber frame extension to it. Um, we, we used lots of different materials. It's got lime plastered walls, uh, uh, but mostly it's like a conventional timber frame house, the way Easier that a timber to get frame those house. materials. If you've got seven weeks. Exactly. You, yeah. yeah. And it's fast. It's a really fast building technique and it's really easy building technique to teach other people. So it's you know, lime plastering and it's lime plaster on the wow. inside and outside to make it blend with the original cottage. You yeah. know, I didn't want, I didn't want this modern box coming off it, but I needed a much bigger space. So blended all those things together. And then, and then. Aaron and I got together. I met my my and wife, Erin. Even before that, are you even comfortable talking about how much it cost you and how much oh, yeah. it cost you to sure. build? Because people listening, everyone go, well, that sounds great. Like, But yeah. now a, a cottage is going to cost hundreds of thousands and a build it's going to cost, you know. Yeah, yeah. So back then, so we're talking seven years ago, it was five acres of land and the cottage. And there's a couple of outbuildings there as well for 81,000. <sighs> and we spent 40,000 on the renovation. And it wow. was... Ready, so to, ready to live in for, for 120 with five acres. Um, <laughs> five acres is a fair whack of land. Like. Yeah. And it was all, it was all forestry. Yeah. At the time it was all Sitka spruce and it all fell down and it's been cleared now. And now we've just got fields, you know, it's all, wow. uh, but, but that's what it cost us at the time. We've now since having kids. So I met Aaron, uh, Aaron and I, Aaron and I got together. Luca decided he didn't want to be a part of the project anymore. So we had to get a mortgage to buy Luca's half of the project out. So that's that's where our, our debt came in. We had no debt up to that point because we'd split everything going into the project. Uh, but to buy Luca out, we needed to get a mortgage. So now we were kind of invested in the house and part of the game, you know, along with everyone else. Um, 
And then we got pregnant and with Inari coming, we suddenly had to make the house warm. You know, while it was totally livable, it was still very much a cottage in the countryside and with two bachelors living in it whose priorities were like where are we going to keep the wine bottles it, it, it was it <laughs> and was I remember, not- I remember luca's sales pitch to us was it's got a sauna and we're, you know it was like saunas and hot these were the illusions that luca yeah. was set. and i'm not sure if they ever were created but no, he was trying to real. get us down and the these- sauna was the first thing we built because we were building in september and it was miserable and it was raining every day and so we would be out there in the rain all day long and it was always one person's job just to keep the sauna lit to make sure that we could go, everyone could go and warm up whenever they needed to in the sauna. So we'd, <laughs> Regularly trip. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. At any point, you know. Off cuts, off cuts <laughs> just to keep the sauna yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so we suddenly had to make this house warm and there's nothing like a impending baby to make you, you know, speed things up and prioritize what you're working on. So, so, so how do you, how do you warm up an old wet cottage? Like, and yeah. you use the word wet, like, because it, it, it wasn't it, wet anymore. Okay. So it wasn't just to wet, be clear, okay. it's now a dry old cottage, okay. but it was all made of stone still. And, and so, energy rating is probably like a D or an E. G, than, G for sure. You know, yeah. it was way, way down there still because the work that we'd done to it was really sympathetic to the cottage. You know, half of my motivation was getting to work with stone and learning how these people built 120 years ago and working with them, making it a collaboration with them and tying into the work that they did. But what we did at that second, at that that time when Inari was coming along was um, took out the old flag floors and put in timber floors, put in insulation. We we still actually use wood fire to heat the house because we have an acre of ash forest that, that so we've got wood for 15 or 20 years there. And so we're still using wood fire to heat the house. So no underfloor heating in it in in a, in the original cottage or the kitchen at this point. Um, and then just increased the insulation in the walls and the inside, replaced the doors and windows, put basically new I made all the original doors and windows that were in there and they were beautiful but they weren't as airtight as as the kind of ones that you'd buy now and so um they were the things we did before Inari came along and then fast forward a few years Isla who's six months now was was coming and so last year we suddenly had to add on another bedroom because we all three of us had been living in one bedroom up to that point and so we very quickly had to build an extension and a hallway connecting to it. And and we're now getting closer to the the old animal sheds that were there as well. And we, we've been able to do all these extra bits of work, the work last year and uh, the the insulation work and the new doors and windows as we earned the money because we we were doing them in phases, right? And mm. when Luke and I bought this house, we had no idea that it was going to end up being a home for a family of four. Your family. My family of four. And so it wasn't, we never would have built it that way, even if we had been trying to finish it. And so as our lives change, as the things change, we keep adapting the rooms. And so we got the new room finished and Isla and Aaron have a very cozy, quiet space. And me and Inari get to run around and make noise at six in the morning when, when she wakes up without disturbing them. And now I think we've got about three years until they're going to need their own room that we're not going to be able to be sharing rooms with them so much anymore. And so we're getting ready to turn one of the other animal sheds, connect it to the main house and have it, wow. have another bedroom. And uh, it just keeps going. And it's not the, the time pressure's off because there's no impending babies coming anytime soon. But the, the, the joy of like growing the house and, and doing it, as the family needs it and really suited to like the way we want to live, which right now the way we want to live is we want our family space 
and we want our social space. We love having parties. We love being able to bring loads of people into the house, but we struggle when it affects the family too much or messes with the kids' sleeping patterns or whatever. So, so we've created this kind of long single story, uh, house that's spread out across these, these, these three old animal ruins and the original cottage connected by a timber frame extension, which means we've got a really quiet bedroom zone up one end now, and then the fun open living space with the outside area and everything there. And that suits our life and who we are. And I have no idea if we tried to sell it, who would buy it or who it would suit exactly, but we're not building it for that. You know, we're building it for our needs and our family and we love it. You know, we, it's all we talk about when we're sitting there at the dinner table, we're just talking about, the next thing we're going to change and the next thing we're going to, we're going to adapt in. And or, that's the key to a good, a good relationship is to have shared projects or shared interests. And ultimately, if you're discussing or building your own home together yeah. and actively involved in it, you immediately yeah. have a shared activity continuously. Yeah. And we get the shared satisfaction at the other side of it. It's not my project. I don't do all the building and I get to share, like feel the satisfaction. We do it all together and you, we bring the kids along on that journey too. You know, we all get to feel that, sense that we've created that home together that it represents all of us and that it has things Beautiful. that are there for all of us and i think mm. that's something that you talk about that's amazing is you know and even to speak personally like where we have outsourced the building of our home i know i spoke to you about it before but you know we, we've been myself and my wife and our three kids we've been renting a home for 15 years and i always assumed we buy the home um, but unfortunately, um, the owner didn't want to sell it. It's been in their family for 160 years. So it was like, okay, I totally get you. Mm. You know, fair play to you. Amazing home. Um, so then we were kind of, what are we going to do? Are we going to buy one? What do we do? And I, I, I've always had the dream of building my own home. Um, unfortunately, one of the resources, I'm not that. I'm, I'm very rich in the resource of responsibility. I've got lots of responsibility mm. and as a result, less time. Mm. Uh, so we, my parents said we could build in their garden. So I've outsourced the, the building of our home. And I'm fascinated with this idea that we'd walk into a finished home because I'm like, well, what do I do then? Like, there's the excitement of like building a creative, being involved in it. Whereas like, we're being sold the idea of a turnkey solution. You walk in mm. and suddenly, here's your home. Like, just have fun in it. Yeah. Whereas I, I think one thing that I really love is that you talk about, you call a home shelter and that it you can adapt it and change it as your needs change. Yeah, if you learn the skills that you <clears throat> yeah. need to be able to adapt it and change it as, as your needs change, mm. you know. And that's the other side of it is like, that's the thing about knowledge, right? It never stops giving. It never stops helping you and changing the way that you look at the world and the possibilities that you see in, in front of you. As much as like learning to hang a shelf enables you to be able to hang as many shelves as you want. Like every time you learn a new tool or you learn how to work with a new material, it opens up the world of possibilities of how to solve problems. You know, you learn how to use drills or learn how to weld. You know, we teach people Ooh. at Common Knowledge how to weld in two days. And people leave, buy a welder and a welding furniture and making things for their home and I'd solving things. I'd love to be a welder. Yeah. Mm. Come and learn well, to weld. It takes two days. You can, can you shirk your is, responsibilities is, is for more, two days? Is that more for welding steel for foundations, like that kind of stuff? Or no, is it more for just plain welding. melding? It could be welding art pieces. It could be welding. Just welding the chair. It doesn't roof like Yeah, yeah if, you're if you that. want to. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's welding steel, you know. It's just learning, learning how to work with the Melt new them. material. Melt them. And uh, they, they're all... You know, it, all these things are really accessible. I think another reason that we we shy away from learning new skills is we're surrounded with 
the idea of perfection and that mm. we shouldn't try something unless we are going to be the best at it. And that can again be really yes. debilitating for people because so true. in what world are you ever good at something when you first try to do it, you know? And why is that even the goal? But but isn't isn't that part of being a grown up? Because, you know, when you're little you do the sprinting race, you do the quick you do the three legged reg race and you learn and you're crap at loads of things. You were crap at loads of things, but you tried them all and you played tennis and you played all these kind of things. Whereas as a grown up, I see it in myself just like, oh, I don't want to start learning something I don't want to start learning dancing I'd be crap at it like and then I've got to start at the bottom and it's so challenging whereas I'm good at this I'm going to keep doing that you know so yeah and I mean you know I I, you say challenging being the main the main one there I think it's embarrassment for a lot of people is yes we don't have a culture where it's okay to be learning something or where it's okay to do something not perfectly or 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 not not very well we really feel this need to like if we're going to do something and if anyone's going to see it we want it to be good. We want it to look good. And we need to, again, it goes both ways. It needs to come from us. We need to be, we need to feel good in ourselves that we're going to go through a learning process. It's like learning a language. There is no way to learn a language and then suddenly just arrive and be speaking it fluently, right? You have to stumble and trip and embarrass yourself through all these words and all these misunderstandings before you get to a point where you start to be understood and communicate with people. And it goes for anything. It goes for welding. You know, it takes two days of making mistakes for people to be able to leave with a stool that they've made themselves. And all we do at Commonology is create a space where we encourage making mistakes. It's so part brilliant. of the process. It's like brilliant. even, hey, can, can I, can I, can I, can I, no, 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 like even the example was, um, with our new home, like I was like, ah, oh, can we? Can I not build the kitchen, please? Can I build the kitchen? And like, I tend to be a bit impulsive, and I'll jump in and. Mm. You well, know, you make it, mistakes. Just, like on that topic, Stephen speaks about seven languages because he's mm. not afraid of making mistakes. So, yeah. whereas when I think of your home, like you know, your wife wants it to be perfect because uh, you're putting you're putting all your resources into it, absolutely. and you're dying to get in there and have a lash at it and not get it perfect, but like fix it again and fix it again and fix it again. And, and, and it tends maybe to be the amateur perspective. And I speak for myself. Maybe it's my perspective as an amateur. I think it's going to take half the time and I'm going to end up with a perfect result. And that's often part of it is that we fail to plan. Like I'll suddenly jump in and perfect example, I was building a tree house a few summers ago and I just jumped straight in, no plan. Should just work it out. It's just a fucking tree house. Mm. You know, that was the thought in my head. But mm. then I did a second version and I planned it and it ended up better. Still yeah. far from wonderful, but it was great. Yeah. I used to go to meditate the kids and hang out of it. You, it was learned, perfect. you learned that if the foundation is off, everything is off. Because everything them. had to be cut <laughs> off. Like I, I was here. That, that was my uh, carpentry level one training. Yeah. But then with the, with the, and, and I had have a great discussion with my wife about this because she she didn't want me to build any bits of the house and I was like you got like you gotta allow me to make mistakes otherwise I'm never going to be a carpenter and I want to be a carpenter one day yeah so it's like fine and I, and I and I we'd have a good strong words about like you gotta support me with this you mm. gotta support me this is something that I want to do and mm. if you want me to be who I am let me do this so mm. I, I got green light in a few projects thank you meet oh yeah amazing and on that on that one like my my experience is different than Steve because we uh, myself my we bought a 160 year old house there a few years ago and we 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 knocked down with the help of a death grip yeah with the help of a death grip sure. of course we a got mortgage. a big mortgage you know but we had to, it was kind of not fit for a purpose and we got it so we had to knock down loads of walls and knock 
and build and whatever. Mm -hmm. But we did, myself and a friend, now he's been a builder his whole life and he's amazing. So he really, Dennis, Dennis is amazing. He really is a dear friend. We built a bathroom, which was a timber frame. We did the foundations. We did all the plumbing. We did, you know, we built the the full structure and that was, that was an amazing, you know, such a, like I sit in that bathroom. That's my sanctuary. I have a bath in it and I sit there and I sit there and I go, I built this. And on my tour, of course, me and a friend, Dennis, we built this, you know, and and I'm just delighted with it. But even more, right, you know how it was built. When something goes wrong in that bathroom, you can probably imagine much better than a highly experienced builder because you know how the thing was put together. You can find that problem. You remember where the pipes were. You remember what it's (laughs) called. I'm sure, I'm sure. But, you know, it's it's part of that thing is that when you're involved in the process coming together in the first place, nothing lasts forever. Everything's going to break in some way or another. And you're going to need to learn to fix things as well as build things in the first place. And if you put it together in the first place, you've already almost got the skills that you need to be able to start repairing it and finding it and, and solving those problems again. And, you know, it's that the reason you thought you could build a treehouse without any without any, uh, you know, training or planning or anything is like partly due to the way we consume like Instagram and those kinds of things where you watch a 30 second reel and someone puts up a treehouse and you're like, amazing, it's so easy. You know, it takes, it takes one day and you can put all these things together. And, and, and it's, it, it's kind of in, in one way, those, that, that, that culture of, uh, seeing all these things perfect or done very quickly or done very easily can, can encourage us. But then when you try it and it doesn't work out, if you're not surrounded by a supportive culture to help you through those times when it doesn't work out, if you don't have a twin brother there to like laugh with you and Mm. help you cut down your posts to make it all even in the end. And like, he might be laughing at you while you do it, but he's helping you fix it. You know, that that's, that's, that's as important as, as being willing to try it in the first place. Yeah, and right now um, there was a there's a there was a sunroom at the end of the garden, and I we had a project. My wife's pregnant, so we've got we're having another child, and uh, so we've ran out of spare rooms. Thank you very much. We've ran out of spare rooms, and I love having people visit. I just mm. adore. It. I love it. I love sharing. I, I just adore it. So so um, where I'm knocked knocked in the sunroom, we got planning permission, and I'm building a structure down the end of the garden. And the garden's small, so it sounds like a big garden, but it's not. Um, so, so we, I got got a friend, uh, Jamie, who's building Steve's house. He, he's done the foundation because I wanted to make sure I'd seen Stephen with the treehouse. If the foundation isn't <laughs> right, everything's off. And my wife's experience with the bathroom, with me and Dennis building, is like it's not warm enough. This time it has to be warm. Yeah. So you know it's reasonably warm, but it's not that warm. So we've gone with the kind of standard building method of bricks and you know bricks and insulation mm-hmm. and lots of insulation mm-hmm. and um, yeah. It's really, really fun. So tonight, um, and, and and is he doing the whole process, or no, is he leaving, just, leaving some just, for you? He just literally um, poured the concrete for the foundations. Yeah. He put in the base walls, and yeah. now this evening, me and you, I could feel, feel my phone ringing there, which was the gravel man dropping six tons of gravel. So this evening, Stephen doesn't know yet, yeah. but we're going to be wheelbarrowing six tons of gravel down to fill in to build a, to build okay. a base yeah. layer before the radon barrier, before the insulation in the floor. So. Yeah, unreal. Yeah. Great. And how much of the build are you going to do yourself, do you think? Quite a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, quite a lot of it. Well, the cost, like we, we reckon we'd be able to do it for 25, 30 grand, something like that. It'll be about yeah. a 30 square meter, yeah. you know, building. Um, so Perfect. something like that. But yeah. that's only with us doing most of it, like me, Stephen and Colin and yeah. having a few men. And your father-in-law, George. Yeah, father-in-law, George, is ama- he's going to help George. loads. He's retired. He's yeah. 68. And he's See, but that's it. Like you're you're finding the point where you're comfortable to, to start taking responsibility. You know, you got someone to help with the foundations because 
it was just a little out of your comfort zone to be taking responsibility from that level. But you're, you're taking over from that point. Someone else, you know, at whatever stage they're at, they might be comfortable if like someone was to put the whole shell together, that it was enclosed, not going to get damaged by the weather, but that they could try and do the finishes. They could be insulating and putting the plasterboard up and doing those kinds of things. And it, it's a scale. It's not you either build your own house or you buy a house. It's just a huge sliding scale of like where you want to be involved in that process. And every time you put yourself into that process, you're saving money or you're saving years of your life on a mortgage, right? Because that's that's the difference. If you can knock 50 grand off your mortgage by by taking on a bit of stress and a bit of involvement in that build, that's whatever. That's, but, but that's I would, two years, three years of a mortgage. Yeah, it really is. And I would also say that like most of us are sold the dream that, you know, we become financially free. We don't have a mortgage. We live in a finished home. But like the reality is that like through the process of learning these things is that is the wealth of life. Like I think that is the wealth of life because the only destination we're going to get to is being compost. Like, mm. you know, we're going to, death is the only destination we're all going to. And we are all unfinished on this journey of life. And learning, that constant, you know, it's such a simple thing that people say, oh, you have to keep learning. But as an adult, as you said, back to specialization, we're so specialized. But when I look at myself, it's like, you know, when I was 20, I wasn't that interested in building. Whereas now I'm like, when people ask me, it's like, yeah, I want to be a builder when I grow up. Like, I absolutely do. I love it. Like 43, when are you going to be growing up? I don't know. I'm never going to be grown up, I hope. But I got given, my mom gave me a present of a builder's belt for oh, Christmas, like a too. builder's belt. And I feel so sexy when I put it on. And I remember like asking Sab, can I get married in my builder's belt? Like, I just feel so sexy. I feel like such a man. Like I got my hammer here and I got my drill over here and loads of nails and I'm such a man. And I, I you know. She wouldn't let him. No, not of course. I was kind of joking, but kind of serious as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm like, I, I agree so much, you know, it's, that's what it's all about. That's the experience. Like life is about having experiences. It's not about, it's not about the, the rest and the relaxation. You've got to do something to earn that, to earn that comfort. And, and you, you won't, you won't ever really value the rest and recuperation recovery if you haven't put the work in to get to that point. And there's different versions of that for everyone. And you know, I think it's really good to just lay it out there that building your own house is not for everyone. And most people, if they can afford not to do it, won't do it. And that's okay. And is if they're happy and if they are enjoying their life and if they're having a great time, then cool, don't worry about it. Like, don't fix it if it's not broken. But there's a lot of people out there who feel really scared about where they're going to live next year, really unsure about if they're ever going to own a house, if, if, Ireland is a place where they can actually live and actually start a family or start a life or start a business because they can't meet this very first basic need of housing. And that's such a scary place to be. And that's really who this conversation is for. It's who it's the people who are in this and thinking about this and questioning, how do I do it? How do I get my shelter? How do I create my shelter? And the byproduct of that is this stuff we're talking about with the like immense satisfaction and feeling good and feeling proud and supporting your loved ones. And all this are like the byproducts of meeting this need that you really, that I you think really this conversation have. is much more for, than just people who, who want oh, to I buy a house. So I think it's for everyone because ultimately the conversation is about continuing to learn and self-empowerment. Because ultimately I, it's about anyone listening to this lives in a house 
where they rented or purchased or their families and things break. Mm. And it's the idea that they can repair it, they can fix mm. it, they can work it out. So ultimately, it's about this conversation is about self-actualization. And mm. I would say, I, I would say, I would say even more when you, when you bring it back to shelter, when, it, when you say the word shelter, I think of tent. Well, tent is shelter, you mm-hmm. know, it's only a temporary thing. And then I think of like, I look at Alessi and Alessi was talking about buying a, Alessi works with us, she's an amazing, she works in the farm and she was talk, talking about buying a camper and like living in a camper van. It was like, that's, it's a, there's so many different ways of doing it and you hear so many people with tiny homes and looking at ways within this experience called life that we can have what is the payoff between debt and financial resources and shelter and where do we get on that spectrum you know where is it on that you know weighing scales really yeah absolutely and and I think yeah I think you're totally right you know there's no one size fits all house there, no. there's there's no you know we've it's funny, like when you think of clothing, you know, we've gotten so used to like clothing being small, medium or large. That's a really new idea, right? Like clothing used to be tailor made. You used to get all your clothing made to suit you, to suit your body, to suit your lifestyle. Everyone who built had a tool belt because that's what they needed. They needed the pockets. They needed all the the pieces. Anyone who did any skill or anything that they spent their time doing would have a custom made piece of clothing to suit that. And we've kind of simplified and worked with the law of averages to to create clothing now that's just small medium or large and and that's how we size our shirts and we have different sizes waists and it kind of works for everyone but but the people who can make their own clothing get to make clothing that actually suits their body and fits their lifestyle and i guess what i'm talking about is kind of this idea that there is a average person or an average family or if there is a real nuclear family whatever that is that that we could design a house that just works for everybody and i i don't think it's possible i don't think that's i don't think that's something we should be striving for i think that is the game of efficiency and that's the game of capitalism and that's the game of trying to make something as quickly and profitable as possible and that's not what we're talking about we're talking about celebrating people's individual traits and individual eccentricities and like the stuff that's weird about us is what makes us beautiful and we want to be able to show that off in any way that we can and celebrate that and create spaces that reflect that so that when we give a house tour someone actually gets to learn something about us you know how are you going to give a house tour in the turnkey house that that you move into on the first day because it doesn't actually you're not in it yet it has no Mm. it has no reflection of you but someone who's building their own house can give you a house tour of it like when it's only 20 percent done because it's their dreams it's their imaginations it's what can draw me mental on that bit it's the same way when i give tours of our house because we did we we did a lot of it well i did a lot of it because and my wife is so wonderful that she doesn't really do it she she does a bit of the painting but she she allows me to make lots of mistakes Mm. like she really does which is i feel so grateful because i didn't train to be a builder but i'm so curious that she she can accept like pretty good like you know yeah. and she's learned, and she's a really detailed person and I'm so grateful yeah. that she lets me fumble along until I get yeah. things better and I, I'm exactly the same you know but my like poor Aaron like I'm I'm just a lot further on that journey where I try much bigger experiments that have much bigger failures when they when they go <laughs> wrong but I'm experimenting just as much I'm trying things out just as much because that's why I still enjoy building it's the only reason I'm doing it because it's there's an infinite room to explore and learn and make it better and find new ways to do it. And, and, uh, you know, these days 
when when I'm looking at buildings, and I, I don't build for for private clients at all anymore. But but when we're working on projects with common knowledge or or community buildings or whatever it is, I would much work, rather work with an old building than build a brand new building, because work finding a way to fix problems and solve the things that are going wrong and celebrate the things that worked really well and understand the journey that this building's been on. Like that's where all the fun and exploration is after doing this for 15, 16 years now, um, that building a brand new building from scratch on a greenfield site, there's almost no surprises to come with that. And that's a little, uh, that's a little boring at this stage for me. Mm. Yeah, I get you. Mm. For anyone listening who's kind of going, Harrison, I'm into it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm at you've, step one. You, you've, not even that, you've evoked something that was asleep in me. I never even considered the idea that I could possibly do some small little part of this journey as shelter. I wonder, can you sell the dream a little bit? Just, uh, and I know we've been doing that for the last hour, but I just wonder just, yeah. because this is something that's more than just a place to live or a place that one calls home. Yeah, of course. I, I I think this is the question that you asked, but I I I think I've been trying to do that ever since I've landed here in Ireland. You know, this the the business that has evolved and the book and the TV show has all all been about working backwards and trying to meet everybody where they're at. And that's something that was really, really important in in the book for us was that originally that book was meant to be a textbook for the build school program that I was running. So it was about gravity. It was about thermodynamics. It was about, it was boring. You know, I start listing off what it's going to be and I'm like, it's already, it's only relevant to people who have sat through me talking about that stuff for hours or days. And, and we, we realized that it just needed to be so much more than that. It needed to be accessible by anyone. It needed to be inspiring for people who weren't even one step along the way to that journey yet. It needed to be something that sparked interest and then had everything you needed to go to the next level to learn a little bit more and then had some like really solid content if you actually wanted to go and try the thing and do the thing. And so with the book, we tried really hard to create that that kind of thing where it can be a coffee table book if that's all someone needs it to be or it can literally be the recipe book that's getting covered in cement or tile adhesive while they're working on their house. And then what we did with Common Knowledge is we created a social enterprise where we are teaching people these things in practice. So Common Knowledge is yeah. based in West Clare. Correct. It do, it's hands-on practical courses where people come and they do a class and they experience the reality of How to your build. hospitality, your experience and the whole kind of culture around empowering people to build at whatever stage they're at. Exactly. Like you, you remember I was talking about, you know, I spent 10 years going to different versions of build schools all over the world. And, and I taught at many of them. I was a part of many of them. I was a student at a lot of them. And what we're doing at Common Knowledge is trying to create the most welcoming, open learning environment for people who've been told their whole life they're not meant to do these things, whether because of their gender or their weight or their sexuality or whatever it is. There's just, there's all these people that don't fit the stereotypical builder profile that exists at the moment that is just a lie. It's not a, it's not a real thing. There's no such thing as what a builder looks like. You know, we're all builders. My wife's a builder. My daughter's a builder. You know, everyone we meet is, is allowed to be this thing. And so what we're doing at Common Knowledge is, is teaching the theory and then backing it up with the practical right away. 
and everyone's at a different point. So some people are leaving those courses after spending five days with us and building a structure together, they'll go and start building their own extension. Other people are learning the terminology and the language and getting some confidence around how, how all this stuff works so that they can go and talk to their builder or talk to their architect and actually fight for the house that they want and the materials that they want to use and the values that they place up high mm. rather than the values that their their architect or designer place up high. Mm. And it's all it's all just about empowering people to the point where they can be as involved as they want to be. But like I said, it, it's kind of addictive. And, you know, you come and do a welding course and you, after two days, now know how to join steel together and make furniture. You start to wonder, like, what, what else could I do? Like, what other things can I do? Can I learn how to do timber joinery? Can I make my own furniture? Can I pour my own concrete counters? Because ultimately, as human beings, we want to feel confident and proud of who we are. I really do. I think that's so intrinsic. And this journey the of more learning. The more useful we can be. The more, the more we feel confident and comfortable in our own skin, the more content we're likely to be. And I think this journey of, as you said, at the very start, you talked about specialization and that is the common theme within our culture. But the more we can keep that childhood, the childlike curiosity and continue on this journey of perpetual learning and dropping that idea of perfection, the more proud and comfortable we are likely to be in ourselves. 100%. Here, here. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the term common knowledge, in my experience, um, common knowledge or common, common sense. sense is really not very common. So I think it's quite ironic that you've called it common knowledge because it's really not that common. Yeah, but it should it's be. Exactly. Yeah, right. and I think that's and it, brilliant. And it used to be more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it used to be more probably pre-schools where it was like, you know, you lived with your parents. Like that was just, we lived in multi-generational homes and when yeah. we needed more shelter, someone, there wasn't like, nowadays it, it, the system is set up for us to like, you know, with getting planning permission and building regs and all this, it is quite a process. There is quite a process and you've got to build your own it's going to take a lot, lot, you know, it's, as you said at the very start, there is that scale of how much, what are your resources and how much financial ones and how much, you know, time you have and what you're going to put in it. Yeah. And it, it's, it's different for everyone. And, and wherever you are in the world, there's some things you can learn at school. There's things in life, there's professions that are very theory based and very, you need a book, you need a desk, you need a quiet environment to learn it. But building's not one of those things. Being a mechanic's not one of those things. Farming's not really one of those things. You know, there's so many skills that are that are attached to these really practical trades and ways of lives that we do that really need to be celebrated and 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 harnessed and taught at a really young age. You know, they're, you need to the, be surrounded by them. They're, they're the foundation, like what you mentioned there, farming, like that's food, shelter, like that's that's another intrinsic part Shelf of life. Wood, and probably water. in our cur current environment, like learning how engines and machines work. Yeah, is, or learning how computers work. Yeah, learning nowadays. Learning how solar computers. systems work, yeah. you know, like these are all the things that we need to to get by. And every every step we take at understanding them and learning them, then we're one step less reliant on someone else providing that thing for us. And the less we reliant we are on other people meeting our needs, the more confident we are that we're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay no matter what way this goes. The less scared we're going to be when crazy things happen in the world, when wars start just a few countries away or when viruses take over the world, you know, when you know that you can do the things you need to do to survive, 
then the world's just a lot less scary of a place because you're not waiting for anyone else to solve your problems for you. You're just doing it. I love Beautiful that. way to end this. And okay, Be- anyone listening, where, how can they, because like come and do your welding courses. So how do people find about coming on? And are they retreats? Do they stay there? Do they have to rent accommodation? How does that work? Yeah, you do the whole thing, you know, and that's part of, for me, creating a really solid learning environment that is about learning is that we need to look after everyone's accommodation and food. No one needs to be wondering if they're going to have a good lunch, right? There's always a good lunch and there's accommodation that people can have as well. So yeah, it's it's a full, it's like build camp wow, if, if, if you want to go to build school. So uh, ourcommonknowledge.org for all the courses. R is in O-U-R. O-U-R, yeah. Commonknowledge. Commonknowledge.org for all of the courses and training that we do. And that's our social enterprise. And then my own website, harrisongardener.net to buy the book and RTE Player. If anyone hasn't seen the show and wants to cool. get inspired and see four different family setups create their own homes and those four families are all living in those homes today and really happy and some of them are totally debt-free in a house. Wow. Uh, you know, it's it's unreal. They, they did the kind of impossible and... They, they almost don't get enough credit for it. The show doesn't even do enough justice for what they achieved because it's, it's, so, it's so incredible. It's so unimaginable how well they did it. Yeah, so, it's amazing. What's the TV yeah. show called? Build your, build your own, own home. Oh, okay, build your own. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Well done, Harrison. You're yeah, you're amazing. brilliant. Thanks, thanks for this conversation. You're amazing. Thanks for I having me. I want to come weld with you one day. Do come yeah. and weld. Yeah, I'm in. Just got to cash in some of your time resources. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Sure, there's responsibilities. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Woo!